Hi, Nick here from Pods with Nick and James. Just a quick one before we get into this podcast. I want to say a massive thank you for the uh, support that we've received since starting these podcasts. We thoroughly enjoy it and we look forward to creating more. If you want to have your say on any topics that we've discussed or suggest future topics, then you can do so at www.reddit.com slash r slash Nick and James Pods. And if you want to support us, you can do so for uh, from as little as £1 a month. And you can do that at www.patreon.com slash pods with Nick and James. Anyway, back to the podcast. Welcome to Pods with Nick and James. Um, I'm your co-host, uh, James. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the history of science and scientific thought and inquiry. Um, my name is James uh, and we're joined today by um, uh, the producer and main host of the show, Nick. Uh, Hi everybody, how are you doing? Hope you will. Uh, and uh, our special guest, special slash return guest, uh, Adam. Hello, everyone. All right. So um, I've done a fair amount of research into this, and just to start with uh, a couple of shout outs. First off, uh, thank you very much to the Secret Santa um, of uh, my old group of school friends who very kindly uh, got me a microphone. Um, I've set it up and unfortunately I had a, some technical issues with it but um, I've got that on me and I'm hoping that to use that in the next episode when I can get it working properly um, and I just to give a couple of references uh, a lot of the information that I've uh, gathered for this has been taken from uh, the great uh, the great courses set of books uh, specifically um, the ones to do with uh, the History of Science from Antiquity to 1700 uh, by Professor Lawrence M. Principal and uh, the History of Science from 17 to 1900 by Professor uh, Frederick Gregory, um, both of which are amazing uh, charismatic public speakers and know their stuff. Um, I, I really wish I could suck in more information but uh i haven't uh, been able to do that so i guess we'll just kick this off uh gentlemen what are your uh definitions of science or sh- actually wait shall i direct this to an end i'll tell you what nick if you want to go first what's your uh, definition of science i mean any time thought and process have to be understood i suppose so there is a science in to my to my understanding anyway there's a science in anything um if you think about um uh, even in the way way back when like neanderthals were were creating fire by banging two two flints together and like there's science in that so um the definition of for, to me the definition of science is any any kind of process that requires um thought in order to execute 
That's really interesting because that's almost like um, anything that requires op- uh, the the effort the effort of observation in cause and effect. Yeah. Um, seems to be okay. That's interesting. Mm. Adam, how would you define it? Uh, it's along the similar uh, veins of Nick, really. You know, you get anything science nowadays, social science and sort of science, science and you know biology, chemistry. And, yeah, everything has some sort of scientific merit behind it, no matter how big or small. Um, as I think you mentioned before, so, you know, there was probably some sort of science implemented when the first sandal was implemented and created. Um, you know, so it's for me, it's more of the case of uh, logging facts and you know experimentation and being able to prove and hypothesize. Okay, well that's. That's interesting because um, what if I was to tell both of you that the word science didn't exist, uh, science or scientist specifically didn't exist before 1834. Um, so what was it although, called before then? Well, exactly, exactly. So my magic probably. Well, no, 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 no. But this is this is the whole this is the whole thing. Um, so previous to Previous to scientists being called scientists, they were called natural philosophers. And it's weird, Nick, that what you described there about kind of like craft and about observing things is just logic. It's And logic has existed uh, and in thought and in philosophy for thousands upon thousands of years. Like, so science doesn't necessarily have the monopoly on logic and reason but is more a methodology born from logic and reason um the oxford di- uh, dictionary um defines it as the intellectual and practical activities accompanying the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment um which is kind of similar to what what you both said there um, but it's it's interesting that um, logic and reason and people observing things has existed for thousands of years, but it's only recently that that has been called science. Um, I tell you what, like the I'll, I'll just give you guys a, a quick information dump. Um, the first. Uh, in the the person who coined the phrase uh, was an Englishman called William Huell, who coined the term scientist in 1833 uh, in a uh, in a mag well a less, lack of a better way of putting it a magazine publication um, to review the work of somebody called Mary Somerville uh, on the yeah on her work to do with the physical sciences. Um, The way he put it was that when saying how to describe people is art requires an artist. Um, Yeah. um, So if he, he, so if art requires an artist, then science requires a scientist. Um, Mm. The work of Mary Somerville uh, was well, it's it's interesting that the, so arguably the first scientist was a woman, um, and 
yeah, her works included like a whole range of things, but most mostly mathematics. Um, so I, I guess what eighteen thirty four is quite late in the history of man. Um, yeah, regardless I mean, of like, yeah, it's fairly recent, isn't it? Yeah. So. Can you think of anybody who we now think of as as scientists who lived before then? Yes, quite a few people, I should imagine. Um, who was the the the? Oh, there was a. Sh I can't remember if he was if he was called a shaman or if he was a, it was a no, he was a priest. One of the Egyptian priests who designed the pyramids. And a load of sculptures and 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 everything else. Um, you could even say Michelangelo. Um, well, y yes, you can argue a lot of the Renaissance artists, mm. in their own ways, were very practical, hands-on, natural yeah. philosophers. Uh, da was it Da Vinci that did the Sistine Chapel? Um, it was Michelangelo who Michelangelo, did the Sistine yeah, yeah. Chapel, yeah, yeah. but Da Vinci did a lot of anatomical drawings which mm. arguably are used as, could have mm. been used as science text um, notes. Interesting fact um, about Michelangelo that not many people know. Before he did the Sistine Chapel, he could not paint. Get out of town. So what he did, when he was grafted in to do the Sistine Chapel roof, was he started, this is one of my favourite stories about the Sistine Chapel, he started the furthest point away from the Pope as he possibly could be, in the hopes that by the time he got to where the Pope would be standing, he'd be able to draw. That's amazing. So he used the corners of scrap paper, effectively. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, when I go to the Sistine Chapel, I'm now going to check the corners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't tell the difference. The bloke was incredible from the get-go, but I think it was a difference in... in. Uh, I think there was a reason he was drafted in for it. He was a mathematician. He wasn't an artist. He was a mathemat mathematician originally. But, but this is the thing. There seems to be um, the way that we categorise knowledge mm. nowadays just did not exist. Um, the way that... or no, it, no, it's not that it didn't exist. The, where we true choose to draw the lines of what subjects are or yeah. how to separate subjects is completely separate. Mm -hmm. So, for example, nowadays, uh, somebody tells you they're into astrology, you assume um, that they read their papers, they get out crystal balls, they um, believe perhaps a lot of things that you don't believe and there's not a lot of respect for it ancient um in the ancient times if somebody told you they were an astrologer like they were an astrologer or had a knowledge of astrology you normally would actually be quite respectful to them if not backing the backing away as astrology in modern terms, is just predicting people's futures and coming out with little fluff pieces for the paper. In ancient times, it contained astronomy, mathematics, and mm. anybody who studied it could look at the night sky and be able to tell the time to within 15 minutes. 
just by the position of the stars and like just using their eyes to figure things out. Such a lost. Um, yeah. I tell you what. Um, can you guess where, based on our past recordings, can you guys guess where the first natural philosopher was from? First natural philosopher. Yes. Now, specifically, um, I'll, I'll give you guys one clue. It's not Socrates, as they don't classify Socrates as a natural philosopher because he didn't ask the same sorts of questions that scientists ask now. But again, it's massively blurred between mm. philosophy, natural philosophy. If a philosopher just looks at theology and ethics, then they don't mount count. But if they look at the creation of the world, um, the production of a of a system, uh, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll bring some other facts in in a moment. Um, but the first natural philosopher, the first person who looked at the world and tried to create, um understanding theories of, yeah, yeah yeah theories which didn't require mythos or anthropomorphized gods in order to explain mm. the cosmos i mean you probably if you think about it, you probably your mind immediately goes to like you know ancient greece like you're thinking like aristotle and plato but it's probably someone a lot a lot closer that pro in time that's uh you probably think of whether or not you think of like I don't know uh, like Karl Marx or like Ren Descartes or something that's that's probably documented as one of the earliest natural philosophers rather than sort of a generalised philosopher well it's okay so the the first natural philosopher is from the same place as the first king so Sumeria that's what I was going to say yeah yeah Ancient Mesopotamia or, or Babylon um, inspired the great thinkers of Egypt and Greece, and the first the first person is of uh, the first person who is recorded as being a natural philosopher because of their their views on the formation of the universe and the way that they did things is a gentleman called Thales of Mylita. Uh, Mylita was a was a town uh, in ancient Greece, which uh, the ancient Greek Empire used to be known as kind of uh, known as the area of Ionia. Uh, so modern day Greece is not quite the same, but you get the idea of the area. Um, Mylita, uh, at the time, um, so this is about six hundred uh, to about between six hundred and five hundred BC uh, that this occurred. 200 years ago uh money had just kind of started in the world and started spreading through the area through um the city of lydia um had started that and then when king cyrus defeated the lydians he then said ah oh, these people are using coins that's a good idea and then spread it throughout the whole area and Miletus was oh sorry Miletus was the richest city of the time um but there was a bloke there called Thales um who was uh an astronomer 
was a philosopher and was a natural philosopher because he tried to come up with ideas on what the world was made out of how the world worked and he uh he is down as the first uh first natural philosopher in recorded history i'd um, be interested quick... to find out how much of his um philosophies um were true okay so um you're absolutely right he didn't get it bang on he didn't come up with m theory back in uh 600 bc um he so his his idea was that everything is water mm. everything is and um aristotle when critiquing his work said that well i think he believed that because um, all natural things require water and are filled with water. Uh, additionally, all, although he was already moving away from any creation myths, uh, both the Old Testament uh, and the Babylonian creation uh, stories start with the uh, start with water or with the idea of God's spirit or the God's spirits kind of having this uh having this expanse of water to work with uh originally i mean um, you can understand the theory you can understand the basis for the theory um obviously water is so um, vital to any kind of life um, and it's it's sustenance you think um the planet itself is 70% water our bodies are 70 70% water um, and life itself begun in the water through um, microbiology with algae and what else as a matter of fact without the algae that started the atmosphere um, we wouldn't even be on the planet right now well that's it um, interestingly um, a number of ancient philosophers kind of rather okay so nowadays we use physics to explain biology um in ancient times because they didn't necessarily have uh the wealth of experimentation which now exists they'd often use biology to explain physics um aristotle was kind of down as doing that a whole bunch of times um so yeah, uh, Thales of Miletus uh, was the first natural philosopher. He said that everything was water. Uh, he looked at uh, things changing. Um, just out of interest, can you guys guess how much of his work we actually have, or how many of his writings we have? I shouldn't imagine too much has managed to survive. Yeah, we've stand the test of time. Um, either that, or it's every single one who's kept pristine. In a museum somewhere. It's going to be either or. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you, again, you guys are bang on the money. We have we have nothing. We've got bugger all. Like, the only way we know about him and his theories is through Aristotle, who talks about him. Um, so Thales of Miletus is down as one of the sages, uh, one of the seven sages of ancient Greece. But we don't actually have any of his writings. 
So kind of we on the same can't... basis as to how we first heard about Atlantis through through word of mouth, because everything was word of mouth before it was... I mean, I'm, I, I feel like I'm saying, saying one of the most ridiculous comments ever. Of course, everything was word of mouth before it was written down, idiot. Um, <laughs> but you get what I mean. Like, like, it, it would have been passed on from generation to generation or yeah. through conversation. Through legend or folklore yeah. or something. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, Thales is, became a near-mythic figure in his own time. Um, one time he is... He is down. Uh, he is recorded as, or there are the stories about him are. Uh, there are three main stories that are covered with him. Uh, he measured the Great Pyramids of Giza by using an ancient measurement tool called a gourmand, um, which is the it's like this little stick you put in the ground, then you use the shadows uh, to record things. Yep. Um, Weird enough, it is literally the same bit that's used in a sundial, but there is an official tool. Um, he So he measured the Great Pyramids um, in order to try and figure that out as... I don't know, that's apparently at some point the records have been lost. Uh, he also, uh, when he was being mocked uh, for being a poor man, he used his... Uh, his abilities in astrology to um, predict a uh, apparently predict a amazing olive crop, uh, which would uh, occur the next year. So he um, used what money he did have and bought the olive presses and then made a load of money that way. Uh, interestingly, that's actually one of the reasons why Aristotle and Plato didn't like him very much because both Aristotle and Plato's believed that a true philosopher uh, wouldn't use their abilities for personal gain. Uh, so they discounted a lot of a lot of what he said simply based on that fact. Because they were jealous. Um, well, they had their own they they had their own theories. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, that is something. The bloke made uh, millions. Did off of um a guess that he got the crop date right so you'd be jealous i mean i'm i'm theorizing i'm completely uh like paraphrasing here but no maybe but um he's also down as a, a, a really a really stupid story which is almost a nothing story but it kind of shows that stereotypes existed the stereotype so he was both the first natural philosopher and the first absent-minded professor. Uh, he's also reported to, at one point, he was stargazing and figuring things out and having a walk along at night. And he was looking up at the stars, and it was night. He didn't look where he was going, and he fell in a ditch. And he was mocked by a slave girl who got him out of the ditch and said, Thales, Thales, you know everything about the heavens, but you don't even know where your own feet are standing. Um... But yeah fair fair i think i would have made the same comment <laughs> yeah 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 no exactly exactly um yeah so a lot of but it's interesting that he's down as the first natural philosopher but before then nick what you described as science of formation of counting of consideration existed in ancient babylon and existed in ancient egypt way before um Thales. It's just that there was no 
it's it's really weird. There was no how was the world created with both Egyptian and Babylon, um, their form of science or their their engineering feats were always incredibly practical. It was always it, there wasn't necessarily the understanding behind or the questioning of why things work the way they work. It was just well this works so do it this way. Um. Yeah, but uh, I suppose it being the first, the first, the hypothetical first um, nation to have an abundance of crop and therefore an abundance of idle mines, they would have been giving birth to the thought processes and therefore started with well this works as opposed to well how does this work that definitely seems like the th the second thought mm -hmm. in the in the chain as it were yeah that's it um well just as a in, another bit which i came across in my research um the babylonians uh their numerical system um there is several elements of their numerical system that we still use today uh, their numerical system um, has a base of 60. Yep. Um, so both are measurements in... Both are recording of time um, and are uh, recording of direction um, is down to them. So when it comes to measuring time and space, we still use the Babylonian method. Which is crazy to think about. Absolutely. Um, now I knew how we got, um, like the composterial, um, refinement, like as in the minutes and seconds. I knew that was derived from the clock. I didn't know how the day was broken up into minutes and hours. How that became sixty instead of a hundred. It didn't make any sense to my head, um, and I didn't know the answer to that question. But it's good to have an answer. Well, yeah, no, and it's exactly it's. So that's why it's because we're trying to use Arabic numerals from. Uh, I think it's something. It's, it's like. You know what? I can't remember exactly when it is, but it's like thousands of years later, and then interacting them with a system which was. Which is several hundred, if not thousands, of years, older than that. So it's again this this mixtures of, different times, different knowledge, different systems. You try and put them all together, and you get in a bit of a mess, and that's why, uh, mm. yeah, that's why timings are the way they were. Um, I, 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 well, I, although I, I think maybe I've done a bit too much research on this again, I'll ask you guys the next question here. Uh, when was the theory of the atom first invented? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, my mind immediately goes towards Einstein. However, I feel like Einstein's um, science was based off of materials that he not not fraudulated, developed upon by from materials that existed before. So, I don't know exactly um i'm gonna say einstein okay um it's probably a bit newer than that isn't it i mean when was einstein about so yeah. I, 
So Einstein S- is um, Second World is Second World War. He's a little bit older than Marie Curie, um, and actually did his best to support her when she was struggling uh, with the death of her husband and when she got uh, caught up in an affair. Einstein sent her a number of letters, uh, basically mm. just saying, "Look." Don't listen to the papers. You're an amazing person. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, which he was yes. born in 1879 and died okay. in 1955. Okay. Because digging into the repository that is my GCSE chemistry, um, Niels Bohr, who had the uh, the planetary model of an atom was like 1910-ish. So, but that's a fairly, you know, in-depth, we're going to be going to positrons, electrons, and that sort of thing. So it's probably about 100 years before. Mm. So 1810. Okay. So the, the original... Uh, philosophical concepts of uh, the atom again goes back to ancient Greece. Um, really? Oh, really? And and possibly before that existed in ancient India. Uh, sadly, I only have the stuff on ancient Greece, but uh, there was the word atom um, comes from the Greek word atomus, which means indivisible. We now know that the the atom is splittable, hence nuclear fusion and nuclear bombs and all of that lot. But the original idea of everything being made up of both the void and stuff uh, can be dated back to ancient Greece um, by um, in the 5th century BCE. So uh, Hmm. someone called... they, it's annoying in ancient philosophy they refer to everybody who wasn't Socrates, Plato or Aristotle um, but from around that time they call pre-Socrates even if they weren't before if they were at the same time but not Socrates, they're just called pre-Socrates yeah. but um, the guy's name was Democritus and he proposed that matter consists of indestructible, indivisible units called atoms it's um, crazy that they thought that. I mean, I presumed it was a case of things were made up of things, and that's as complex as it got. Like, it, two things, you know, if you put hit two things together hard enough, they stick together. So things make up things, and that let's go about our day. I, you know, I wouldn't have anticipated it be, you know, that in-depth the knowledge. Hmm. Well, it's 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 crazy to think that even back then people were thinking of this. Mm. So this is gonna be, this is gonna be a bit of a oh, this is possibly gonna be a contentious question, but I'll ask it. Why do you think nobody listened to him? Probably because they had better things to worry about. Well, that's also very true. They probably were struggling with starving, starvation, plague, war, strife, <laughs> all of all of the great things that make up what did he do was there some kind of ridicule that led to him being like disregarded almost like a a fable or a or a or a a conspiracy theorist kind of thing was he just not as famous as socrates so people just didn't care 
well no the thing is people people did care um but it's because well okay so again i i i haven't been given exact uh information on this but it's because although uh, Democritus, who's the second person to come up with it, there was a person before him, but I can't remember his name, and there's not nearly enough information about him. Um, Democritus was uh, came up with this idea, and he came up with this idea, uh, but he then also went several steps further and said that there are no gods, um, ah. there is there is no ethics um there mm. uh everything he he basically so like although nihilism is down as coming from frederick nietzsche um this guy democritus seems to be the original nihilist and unfortunately um a number of people after him uh called themselves like followers of democritus and were just massive dicks. Like, they, they, um, it doesn't go into it exactly, but they behaved in such ways that the theory of the atom was lost. Um, I don't know, it almost like. They it, murked it the was, waters. Yeah, they murked yeah, you, the waters. You muddy the water and just no one cared at that point. Yeah, they, 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 they they're full of, the, yeah they muddied the water with their actions to the point where when anybody thought of the the theory of the atom they thought about these yeah they thought about uh yeah the some not nice people who claimed to be atomists several hundred years later not um, only that but it must have been incredibly difficult for a lot of people to hear the concept that there was no god um I mean, even now, people really struggle with the concept of there not being a god um, and there being a mere like light switch moment that kind of created the universe instead of there being this divine intervention. Um, so you go back to when that was the norm and that was the majority and that was the basis of most yeah. like lifestyle. Like somebody turning around and saying... No, this isn't actually how things go. Um, yeah, the Greeks with... were fairly hot on gods and the mythology, weren't they? You'd end up almost triggering an existential crisis. Um, yeah. And the fear of that would be enough to have people poo-poo the, the comments, I suppose. But but that but that's exactly it. Like, although it's interesting that Athens is seen as this the home of wisdom, it was. Athens that killed Socrates. It was Athens that quite often did put uh, a number of uh, these philosophers to death. And a number of these philosophers aren't from... Uh, most of the pre-Socrates, or most pre-Socratites, aren't from Athens. They visited Athens at some point, for sure. But they're all from the outskirts of the Greek Empire. Yeah, but didn't a lot of them, I think we covered this in an, an earlier episode, a lot of them were, um, not a lot of them, um, some of the earlier people before Socrates, like the bigger minds that Socrates kind of learnt from, Plato learnt from, etc. Um, like they were educated in Egypt in the through the Library of Alexandria. 
Well, weirdly enough, um, so... Okay, so you are thinking along the right lines, although, again, the, re the research I've done here has, has put another light on that. Um, the library in uh, the Alexandria was founded by Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was a pupil and died one year before Aristotle. Aristotle came after Socrates. If that makes sense. So a lot of these people, you're right, they were trained in Egypt and they were trained in Babylon, but not necessarily in that particular unless there was already a library there i can't say there wasn't already a library there but as the history books say that alexander the great um founded alexandria weird enough he also founded six other cities and named them alexandria it's just the one in egypt's the only one that's left um and even that was destroyed by the romans yeah that's bit, absolutely bit true bit yeah. up himself wasn't he well, I, I, it is interesting. He was called Alexander the Great, I suppose. Well, he he wasn't <laughs> at that point, and it is interesting that he learnt from somebody who said you should never use your knowledge for personal gain, and yet the person who told him you shouldn't use knowledge for personal gain also told him, "Yeah, go 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 invade these countries. You'll be fine." It'll be fine. Spread your light across the world. Was it seen as liberation and not invasion? I think yes. it was. Well, you see, that's a that's a classic thing, isn't it? But yeah. We're moving. We're moving. That that's a one for. <laughs> Here we go on our tangent point, train but... once again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But um, <laughs> um, and it, but it's it's also weird that 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 mistake of thought also existed. Um, so the first scientist, Mary Somerville, um held some of that and a number of the colonial views held by darwin uh were also held by mary uh somerville and although they were great people and amazing minds they themselves thought that uh at, at their times that the british empire was spreading its light across the world and that the ways of darkness and ignorance would be erased by colonialism um which is obviously false but uh that is what honestly what a lot of people believed even mm. as late as 1834 uh and quite a lot a little bit after then as well um okay so i've covered uh a couple of things there we'll move on to the to the um to the ideas to some of the ideas so the term scientist was coined in 18 uh 1830 well it it, it was written in 1833 it was mm -hmm. published in 1834 and it wasn't commonly used until 1840s uh is when it was used uh natural the term natural philosopher uh alchemist crank a number of things were used to describe scientists before then. Mm -hmm. um, how do you guys think the the shift from philosophy to science took place? Like, how do you think that went? I mean, there's a couple of a couple of potential 
there was either a transitional phase where people went from thinking and hypothesizing to proving or disproving um, or it was mm. almost polar opposites and came about as um, almost anti-philosophy yeah it's probably where science took on board and could prove things that the philosophers were saying and at that point that's the differentiation where the philosophers were hypothesizing whereas the scientists or people who weren't previously known as scientists but they could prove and test those theories against evidence and provide that evidence that's absolutely right like that's uh this is where although the term scientist was coined in 1833 the idea of of scientific theory has always seems to have existed across history but grew in popularity um in the 1600s at least in western europe i can't speak across all history and all times but that is when it that is when our idea of modern science seemed started to take hold um so the what you guys were saying about provable evidence um so the uh, hmm, okay so i'll just all right so before i guess during the time of the Rena late renaissance as we start to enter the enlightenment um a number of people started meeting and discussing their ideas and what they could show what they could prove unfortunately it was mostly the rich of this time who had time to talk and to think and to meet mm. and they started to meet in uh the salons in france and germany um in the uh in the 17th century or no sorry not 17th 16th century um and uh the the there's there was a thing called the king's garden in france uh which was also a sub of scientific inquiry uh and a number of advancements were made in france and germany before the foundation of the royal society of natural philosophy was founded in england which then later became the royal society of science um it was that was founded in 1660 uh by well i don't have the right person here i'm very sorry about that but that was founded in 1660 and it has a very specific term uh which is on its crest still today but it kind of really sums up what the place was about uh the term is in latin as a lot of these things are and it's nilius in verbal or nilius on verba uh which is a latin phrase which means takes nobody's word for it or on no one's word mm. which is a way of so this was kind of like the first institution which which says prove it yourself figure it out mm. and that was that's a in my mind is an amazing step forward for uh for science or for the the formation of scientific inquiry yeah i mean i i'm i i like the 
the def definitive nature of the comment. I think based on if you think back to the podcast we've literally just we we last released, um, there comes a point where prove it yourself or 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 take nobody's word for it um, actually restrains how yes you can yeah. research. So I think the yeah. two need to go hand in hand. I think philosophy itself is the thought outside the box, and then the development on that thought is um, like taking, not taking someone's word for it, but trying to develop into it some kind of relative um, proof. Mm. Yeah. So everything is someone else's word in a way, because mm. well, someone else has already figured it out. So it's how did they figure out? Because I don't believe them. Okay, well, well then how did the person that th figure that out figure it out? And you know, it comes a point where it becomes knowledge that this is correct, no matter how many times you look into it and try and figure out who figured out what and on whose word are we believing. This is just correct. Well, that's exactly it. Like, um, although you're right, you you shouldn't. Mm. The basis of scientific theory is that you should be able to observe and should be able to provide proofs yourself. Um, this is why, actually, this is another reason why, for, sorry, a, a second reason that the, the theory of the atom was considered to be disproved is because you they didn't have the technological means to look into the nature of stuff so it was a it was a natural philosophy which turned out to be at least when concerning the material nature of things partly correct rather than a provable thing like but then we're going to we'll probably start stepping upon first-hand second-hand knowledge versus subjective and objective reality uh, at this point, so I don't want to go too far into that. Or maybe I, I mean, just a just a thought based on based on that itself. Um, there is a culture in oh, I can't remember exactly where in the world, but it was untouched by human hands, undeveloped, un unevolved, shall we say, and remained these hunter gatherer kind of people that we were talking about in the last podcast, um, much into the late eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth century, right? However when investigated by a scientist or when when examined by a scientist they had record of um sirius a as being a part of a binary star system as a matter of fact they said that sirius um like the star system or the star sirius was actually part of a tertiary star system um and they like they had no way of proving it, but they knew hands down that it was a tertiary star system. Given the fact that only you can only see Sirius A from the naked eye, Sirius B was only discovered in I think the uh, early 20th century, um, and Sirius B was only only discovered in the early 2000s, um, and yet these people knew and didn't need to prove it. But knew that was the way that things were um, for dis like for literally decades and uh, or generations and generations. Um, kind of it. it I, I mean, you, you you got my thought process in the last podcast. As I said, like sometimes you just kind kind of have to go. Sometimes people just know, 
and you don't need you don't you don't sometimes you just have to go okay if you know and there's no reason why you would be lying then I'm gonna listen to you um, be aware of the gray area but also I don't know enough to disprove you therefore I am not going to tell you you are wrong yeah I think that's the the beautiful thing about science is that people who you know are quite literally remote and don't have any outside influence nine times out of ten well, I say that's probably a bit high but they will come to the same conclusion on things and they can figure things out and you think oh wait a minute they figured that out as well and you know it's it's there's the constants in science you know they might have you know thought different things when it comes to religion and different things when it comes to you know, the, the topography and geography and outside people and this that and the other but the, when the brass tacks of it is is that science is a constant they yeah science, out, and, you know, science and mathematics to... i think are the two yeah. the two um constants um in any mm. Society. Whether or not they use like a you know like a generic a standard well what we would call a standard based you know a base ten mathematical system or if not they had their own base system you know but the numbers in sequence in sequence yeah. are the same though so you might have a base thirteen but like thirteen you know, like fourteen is is going to be um, thirteen and one to a base thirteen whereas it's fourteen to a base ten so it's still um, yeah, exactly. it's still relative yeah, isn't it it doesn't matter yeah. it's almost like writing in a different language it, numbers will be the same no matter what um, and science is the same no matter where you are yeah exactly it just they go about different ways to proving that and you know well, I, 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 see science much, as the, I see science as the methodology I see like proof science is a way of uncovering truth um, I, I don't think I think Science is a way of getting to the answer of the how and possibly the why. I don't necessarily see, like, when a, when a car hits me, or sorry, if a car hits me and I get injured, like, I don't say, oh, well, that's science for you. Although I understand that science can be used to explain the physical forces that caused my injuries, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But... Oh, I'll tell you what. Right. We'll get we're getting towards the end here, so I'll just ask you guys this. Who is your favourite scientist and why? And I'll go last with mine. Hmm. Go on, Adam. It caught me on the spot, James. I'm sorry, uh, I should I, yeah. I I don't I I don't have a, a collective list of my favourite scientists. Well, I, I guess name one that you've you've liked or admired or. Um, I in, enjoyed reading the works of Charles Darwin, whether or not you know you cast him as a scientist. With I him do. Being in like, yeah, like a. He but... he is he he's very much a scientist. He was after. Yeah. Uh, he was after eighteen. I'm pretty sure he was. I think he was. He was around that sort of time. Before coming so out. He, yeah, so whether or not he was formally 
given the title of scientist or whether or not he was retrospectively given it. Um, yeah, I think the work that he's done on, you know, evolution, natural selection um, was profound and, you know, there hasn't really been anything since that people, you know, he seems to have covered a lot of ground. Obviously, you know, there was always going to be improvements and people who add to, but I think he's understood and got down a lot of the groundworks that we still, you know, understand and use today, you know, be it, you know, 150 years later. No, that's fair enough. Like, he, he's a good, he's a good scientist and he was on, is he still on the back of the £10 note? Yes. Think, is he not? Has he changed it? I don't look at paper money anymore. Yeah, I no, can't remember fair. the last time I had. Well, as a matter of fact, I think I've got a ten pound note in my wallet. I'll look at that whilst I tell you mine. Um, <laughs> so, right, there's a couple for me. I think um, Einstein, because of the many different things that he, um, and I use inverted commas here, got wrong. Um, and then was later proven right. I love that. There's so many things that he's like, like the 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 presence of dark matter, for example. He called it Einstein's greatest blunder, um, and then scientists went and proved him right to some degree um, in later life. And it's like, how can you be so smart that you work out something that is like so fundamental um, in space, and then go? No, I've got to be a complete bloody moron to think that that's true. Um, so, yeah, he he's definitely gets an honourable mention from me, but for um, concept and for the science that they were investigating, my favourite, I think, is possibly Nikola Tesla. Uh, now, what... To be fair, I've forgotten a lot about uh, Nikola Tesla. What can you tell me about him? What did he... He was developing cars. a means to draw energy from the universe itself and not need um, power stations and electrical power grids um, to distribute that power around the world. Unfortunately, his funding was stopped because the bloke that uh, he was getting funding from was actually the biggest provider of copper wire in America and he realised that Tesla was about to put the bloke out of business so he pulled his funding that's a massive shame but that's uh... that's why Edison got the, uh, yeah, that's the funding because Edison's methods were farmable and profitable mm. Whereas Nikola Tesla, you just put one of his machines in everybody's house and that's it, free power for everyone. Do you think, do you think also that it's the, the current financial investment in the systems that we have which has stopped Tesla's works from being picked up again? Yeah, I mean that and the fact that they destroyed his tower and they destroyed his works. Um, Trump's family was actually one of the families that... Um, that ended up with a lot of um, Tesla's uh, paperworks after his uh, his laboratories were um, raided. I want to say, but obviously I use the term loosely. 
Okay. And on the back of a £10 note is actually... I lady. know it was Darwin at least 10 Jane years Austin. ago. Jane Austen. Jane Austen is on the back of a £10 note. Okay. Hmm. I preferred it being Darwin, but oh well. Um, but that's just my prejudice. Oh, sorry. Right, um, I had to be done. Um, <laughs> okay, my... Uh... They say pride comes before a fall. Yeah, always, always. Um, my favourite scientist is Marie Curie um, because, well, she's the... Uh, her and her husband uh, figured out uh, a lot of stuff to do with um, radiation uh, and I, I guess like the reason why uh, she's my favorite scientist is because she went from a time so she had uh, the hypothesis for how radiation worked um, so she kind of worked with people on that. She then also um, experimented and refined uh, raw materials, which produced, um, like, she took this substance called, uh, called pitch uh, and refined it into uranium. She then worked and experimented with uranium and turned it into some uh, something which was 400 times more radioactive called palladium and then she took she then continued to research more and more into it and to develop things more and more and then produced um something called radium which is another 400 times more radioactive than palladium and so she in the course of her lifetime she she took raw materials refined them into something which is still used today then went made something 400 times stronger than that and then made something another 400 times uh, more radioactive than that to the point where radium is an incredibly rare element that's difficult to use um well you know it's horribly deadly as well but it's he did yeah. that Additionally, it's the way she used her findings. So she she did uh, the whole... So she discovered... So she created radium. She also started radiology as a medical practice. So the whole reason why we have x-rays is because of Marie Curie's work in radiology. But she didn't just come up with these theories. She practically put it into practice. During the First World War, um, French soldiers had access to X-ray technology, whereas English soldiers and German soldiers didn't. As a result, millions, well, sorry, thousands upon thousands at least, of French lives were saved through bullets being removed from wounds, which previously couldn't, couldn't have been done because of the x-ray uh, it's, i know it's going to sound ridiculous but there were pop-up x-ray kind of tents and vans which was all put into place by um they used to be called little curies um because she put that 
into place, organized with people, and then created something which saved thousands of lives. Um, so that's why she's my favorite scientist, because she took a theory, she put in the graft, she created a positive um, practical application, and then put that into physical practication. So over the course of her lifetime, she went. they went from a place of complete ignorance to having a technology which which relied on the relied on the same person person's work i i don't know just over the course of a lifetime being able to oversee all of that is amazing um also love the fact that her own remains because she worked with with unshielded um radioactive material her remains are so radioactive that uh she's in a lead coffin yeah, she had to be buried, buried twice, didn't she? Uh, yeah, quite possibly because it would be doing it. And if you if you're looking if you're reading any of Marie Curie's uh, original notes, those are also radioactive. So you have to sign a waiver before you can even touch them. Because uh, she was incredibly irradiated. I guess yeah. that's another reason why. Like, she worked with radioactive material, yet still lived into her sixties. She died because of the radioactive work she did as well, didn't she? That's the... Oh, the the jig isn't up on there, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. It probably didn't help. Yeah. Probably the amount of radioactive stuff she was around, it's probably killed her. Yeah, I don't think it was, I don't think it was cancer that killed her. I think she had some kind of anemia or something. She did have another d d disease. Unfortunately, her husband... Was it Peter Curie? Um, died of a completely not uh, radioactive thing. He was literally hit by a horse and cart. Pierre, was it? Pierre, that's it. Yeah. Cool. If he if he was living in Clapham, he'd probably be Peter. You're right. Well, they were living in Paris, but Marie Curie is Polish. Uh, hence the reason why she called uh, the material the first. Uh, refinement of uranium that she invented called palladium after Poland. Um, interesting fact about palladium, uh, it's used as the triggering uh, mechanism in a number of nuclear bombs. So she invented something and put it to good use. Oppenheimer then... twisted it and turned it into something destructive. Exactly. Exactly. Alright. Well, uh... <laughs> sorry. Alright. Uh... <laughs> So science uh, create lessens the suffering of humanity in loads of ways, but if, like with all things, can be used for evil. And on that bombshell, I wish you all good night. Unless Take you guys care, guys. No, I am, I am very happy. That is a wonderful research again. Thank you so much for all your time that you've put in, James. Um, thank you, Adam, for coming along and yeah, no riding with us. Thanks for having me. No problems. No, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Um, thank you, listeners, for continuing your your presence on these podcasts. We massively appreciate you taking part in listening. Um, so, goodbye from me and goodbye from the Goyers. Bye.